We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? we got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to a very... Special edition, the, the specialist edition possible, I think, of the Rotowire College Football Podcast. I'm Nick Whalen, joined by a man who I almost feel like is part of the team at this point. And I, I would imagine the Georgia Bulldogs football program feels the same way. John McKechnie, back from Indy. You were on the scene. You were at the game. You, you posted a photo of yourself shirtless in the waning seconds of said game. Uh, we, we'll get into everything. Yeah, we'll break it down. We'll, we'll do a little bit of a look ahead to next year. But really the reason we're doing this podcast is to give a window into, you know, someone who's never been to a national title game and maybe a, a national title victory, especially I, 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 for one, have been to a game that ended in a loss. It would have resulted in a terribly, you know, unentertaining podcast, but what was it like for you? What was the buildup? You know, how was the road trip up there? I want to know, you know, every relevant detail to your experience being on the scene for your Georgia Bulldogs taking home the 2022 national title. Yes, thank you for for giving me the the platform to just kind of let it rip and, and recap what was you know one of the the craziest forty eight hour stretches of my entire life. Uh, we hopped in the car, five of us, uh, early Sunday morning, driving through the pouring rain uh, on our way up to Indianapolis. Stopped, had a nice meal at at a Ruby Tuesdays in in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Hey, uh, no one said it was going to be easy. That's right. I mean, that that we earned our grit coins right, right off the bat. And uh, it's funny, we're like waiting around outside of the Ruby Tuesdays at like 1055. Uh, the, the Ruby Tuesdays wasn't even open yet. And then it's 11 o'clock. We're like not even sure if we can go in. And then <laughs> suddenly like 10 cars pour into the into the parking lot. And suddenly Ruby Tuesdays was uh, was popping there in Bowling Green. But the rest of the drive smooth. We get up to the Airbnb, just kind of relax, settle into the, into the night. Right when we arrived is when the Ravens blew it against the, or I don't know if they blew it, but they, they lost to the Steelers. Um, and yeah, we just kind of had a fun, fun evening Sunday. 
that the part of town that we were staying in had a bunch of establishments within it, probably within a two to three minute walk, which was clutch because, uh, I mean, I've kind of lost my, my thick Midwestern skin and, and my buddies, uh, certainly, uh, didn't never even developed one in the first place. So, and it was plenty cold up, up in Indy. So, um, nice to, to have as little walking to do as possible day of the game, just kind of hanging out, trying to basically distract ourselves from the nerves. Uh, a lot of guys in the group, uh, I don't know if they, if they truly believed it, but what they would say would always be on the, on the pessimistic end. I don't know how we do this. Uh, Bama has Bryce Young. You know, uh, there were so many way, avenues with which they could justify being a little bit negative going into it. But three o'clock, we, we head to the downtown area of, of Indianapolis around the stadium, try to get into one place. It's completely packed. No, nowhere to nowhere to to uh, settle up to the bar or anything like that. So we eventually found a tin roof, which I, I believe is a chain, and it's a uh, it's an interesting place. But it was it was totally full, a good mix of both Georgia and Alabama fans, and I didn't feel like there was a ton of like open animosity between the two fan bases, like some some pretty lighthearted ribbing back and forth but but no no like fights or anything like outrageous like that so that was good and then we just went into the stadium early just to to sort of beat the rush had an easy time getting in and then we just kind of hung out on the on the concourse behind the ESPN set um in the Alabama uh, side end zone which is close to where our seats were and just kind of took in the the environment it was just so electric in there so so much excitement on, on both sides uh, it was. It became pretty evident right away that there were a lot more Georgia fans that, than Alabama fans, and to me, that, that's not necessarily a reflection on, on Bama having a bad fan base or anything. Maybe a little bit spoiled, you, you could say. But at the same time, how many natties have they been to over the over right. the last decade? They're people that are mostly from the South. Do they really feel like going to Indianapolis in January? I kind of get it. So, whereas Georgia fans totally starved for for this type of thing a lot of them opted not to go to the orange bowl save their money on on the uh on the off chance that they did make it to indianapolis and and yeah so the dog nation what was absolutely uh in full force in full throat um a, as the game got got underway and you know we saw how it unfolded from there and and you know as the game ended and it became clear that that Georgia w- was going to kind of slay the dragon, not only slay the dragon that is Alabama, but also break the the forty one year long curse that that had just been hanging over their heads for so long. So many close calls. You know, you can talk about twenty twelve, you can talk about twenty seventeen, you could talk about the Stafford years, and finally to be able to do it, even with a, a guy like Stetson Bennett, it was just it was totally storybook it was crazy just the the sheer jubilation especially on some of my friends who have been obviously lifelong georgia fans whereas me i just became a fan when i when i got got to school down there it was really just remarkable to see and and the rest of the night was just like hugs and like we effing did it and and then we just got back to the airbnb walked a a a brisk 40 or so minutes to get back there because we weren't going to mess with the ubers and just we just rewatched the, we just stayed up rewatching the game like there wasn't even that much partying done just because there there was so much like a, emotional exhaustion we just kind of felt like sitting around eating McDonald's and, and rewatching the game immediately afterward and that's that's kind of how we spent 
uh, the late night hours into Tuesday morning. It's funny you say that because I have done that a number of times, uh, you know, maybe not a, of a game at that level, but games that I'll attend, whether it's a basketball or a football game, even some baseball games where you, you don't get the same, you know, you'll get the same sight lines. You don't get the, you know, the kind of the feel of a national title game, especially, you know, crew calling the game and with, with all the, you know, you got, they had like the special 4k camera going, like, you know, you kind of get the angle that you see in the arena or in the stadium and you get what you see on the jumbotron, but that's about it. You know, and I know you usually have limited service at those games and you're not really checking your phone anyway, if it's, if it's a really close game. Uh, so there's actually a lot of value, I think, in going back and, and getting the TV experience because it's so good, you know, nobody's debating that. Uh, but getting that along with being there in the stadium, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the word curse to describe Georgia not winning a title since that 1980 team. I, I feel like I haven't really heard that verbiage. You know, that that's that to me is reserved for like the Cubs and the Red Sox, mm-hmm. um, even the Bucks to some degree. But I, I don't really think anyone said the Bucks had like broken a curse when they won their first NBA title last year since 1971. Was that really what it was considered like in the Georgia area? Yeah, as far as as the, the psyche down here goes, it, it just by virtue of the way that they lost the, those close high stakes games, uh, you know, the, the second and 26 uh, against Tua Tungavailoa in Alabama a couple of years ago, um, them bringing in their backup quarterback, obviously to, to beat them. And then the following year in the SEC championship game, uh, do following the same script in the opposite way Tua is struggling. He's got that banged up ankle. They bring in Jalen hurts, the guy that they had completely kind of shut down the year prior and then Hertz is the one that 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 does it to him in the SEC. Now, now to be clear, I don't know if Georgia beats that um, that Clemson team necessarily, but I mean, it was still just equally um, or almost equally uh, heartbreaking to to lose to Bama in that way uh, in back to back years. Um, in 2012, I mean, I don't think that Georgia w- was well. They kind of were. They they were right there with Alabama until the very end, and then we saw how Alabama just kind of dismantled Notre Dame in the national championship the following week. So a lot of people felt like that was the missed opportunity. And had they been able to, to close the deal against Alabama, that they would have been able to to beat Notre Dame fairly comfortably. Maybe not as as well as as Bama did to to the Irish, but felt that way. Or you know the the inexplicable losses during Georgia's uh, Sugar Bowl run in two thousand seven, and obviously. That was a year where it doesn't feel like there were any great teams. I mean, it was a, a decent LSU team that ends up not to take anything away from them, but not surely not like a dominant team that your your brain Rolodex of national champions goes to immediately. So it did feel like like the curse. And, and you know, this year with, with how uh, experience laden the defense was and how much that uh, they were likely to lose to the NFL draft and everything like that. It felt like this was the year to do it. And again, like with Clemson being down with Ohio state missing the playoff, it felt like there was just, there were no more excuses for Georgia to get it done than this uh, exact year. And and they just have had so many instances of not coming through when they needed to. And they, they finally, finally did it. So I find myself on the tin roof website and you are correct. It is a chain. They have 17 locations. Uh, around the country in, in party destinations, you know, such as Birmingham, Alabama, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, of course, Indianapolis is on the list. There appears to be a Bon Jovi cover band who will be playing at the Indianapolis location next weekend called Slippery When Wet. Oh, that's uh, so you're in the right spot, I think. 
I, I think you're absolutely right. The DJ had it going, uh, played some some Bob O'Reilly, which is the song that uh, Georgia comes out to at their home games. Uh, they had a, a good mix of, you know, some some old like songs that we can appreciate from our college days, some, some anthems, some bangers, some Sammy sure. Adams, things of that nature to, to really get the vibes uh, yep. going. They did play some Sweet Home Alabama, which which was annoying, but, uh, you know, it was unavoidable you couldn't go somewhere yeah and, i'm sorry you had that many that. bama people and and not have that song be played at least once but oh well yeah i, I mean glad you made it out alive w- would you say that this is there anything that could top this for you like where does georgia football rank versus uh you know like baltimore ravens super bowl which you know in your lifetime you've already seen two of those that that's right so that this is um as far as the the mountaintop is concerned go, going to um, I, was, I was lucky enough when I was 21 to, to go see the Ravens win the Super Bowl uh, with my dad in New Orleans. That was a, a, an all-time moment, all-time weekend, that type of thing. But this is this is right there. You know, obviously you have a little bit more connection to your university. I've gotten so much more emotionally invested in Georgia over, over the years, um, and to, to see it with, with with my friends like that, and to to beat. I mean, there's a, a uniqueness of college football where where teams just tend to stay at the top, like in Alabama, and you can have the sort of they are the the dragon, they are like the the final boss, and Nick Saban being the final boss, it's a it's a unique wrinkle to to this to the college athletics part, and to see it happen, and to be down here and to and to live in this state now is just really really cool. It was it was an all timer. Um, I think some of my friends appreciate it even more than I do, but I, I really, I'll never forget it. It was an unbelievable experience. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't really think anything can top it. I, I hope at some point in my lifetime that, that the uh, Orioles can, can win a world series, but I'm not holding my breath on that. And that's about the extent of it. I, I've, I've seen a Maryland Terrapins uh, national championship as well, but mm-hmm. shout out Juan Dixon, but this this to me was like the the next thing on, on the bucket list that I needed to see happen, and I was so excited and and lucky to to be able to to go there and witness it in person. Yeah, I mean, I mean, no disrespect to Sydney Ponson, but I would not get your hopes up for for the Baltimore <laughs> Orioles. It'll happen at some point in your lifetime, but I, I don't know that that's going to be uh, next up on the docket. Let's talk about the game itself. I. I I kept telling myself, you know, Alabama's in trouble if they're going to keep taking field goals here. Mm-hmm. And and throughout the first, you know, essentially the first three quarters of this game, they got away with it because, you know, it felt like every third down, it was like third and six, and it, every drive would end with Stetson Bennett fleeing out of the pocket, running right, and throwing the ball out of bounds. And yep. it'd be like, all right, another punt, another punt. And, you know, at some point you start thinking, like, Alabama's just going to win this game 15 to six and it's just going to be all field goals. And, and this will just be another great Nick Saban performance. It's going to be all defense. Um, you know, it, and that's how it's going to go. And then, you know, finally the levy breaks with that, that touchdown, uh, the Zamir white run, you know, Georgia goes right down the field after that 17 play drive by Alabama ends in a missed field goal. And that to me is when it finally felt like the momentum swung Alabama comes right back, has to settle for a field goal yet again on another long drive. Um, and at that point, I think if you're Alabama, that's maybe when you have to start worrying. I mean, they they scored their lone touchdown of the game on their tenth drive of the game. I mean, it was there are not it's not often that you see an Alabama offense struggle to this degree. And I think the most shocking thing was it felt like they could get down the field at will. You know, there were a ton of you know crossing routes and and you know jumps out of the backfield to to Brian Robinson. 
even after losing Jamison Williams, it, they were able to move the ball from like 20 yard line to 20 yard line. But as soon as they got close to the goal line, they, they just couldn't figure anything out. Yeah, the, the Georgia red zone defense was, was unbelievable. I think one one of the kind of unsung key plays of the game was when uh, Cameron Latu got, got loose down the sideline, beat Keely Ringo actually, mm-hmm. but Ringo was able to chase him down and then Georgia was, was able to force a field goal. So um, whereas in December, Bama was just seemingly scoring touchdowns at, at will, um, Georgia's defense w- was able to just hold them to field goals constantly and keep themselves um, within a score at, at every turn in this game, even though the offense really, like you said, didn't click until the, the late third quarter. Um, uh, it did help early in the game to, to at least flip the field position to, to hit that 50-yarder to, to Pickens. But um, that 67-yard run from James Cook really started to, to alter things, and then they were able to, to punch it in after that. That, that was absolutely massive. And, and coming off – and for them to do that – coming coming off as the answer to that Bama 17 play drive that ended in that blocked field goal. Like that was such a key little sequence in the game. Bama comes back with a field goal, like you mentioned. Um, and then Georgia has that fumble. What, what did you think in the moment uh, of that fumble? Because from the stands, it was, it was sheer disbelief. It, it, it at once looked like it was an incomplete pass just because the ball traveled so far. And then the the sheer kind of nonchalance that that uh, Branch had as he kind of like collected the ball going out of bounds is like there's no way that he possibly got a foot in right like there no way and then you know ruling on the field is is a fumble recovered by Alabama and and at that point um, I, I think that the collective hearts uh, sunk for for the Bulldog fans it was that was a, a pretty bleak moment and then for for Bama they had to fight for it but they did end up scoring their touchdown on that drive. Right. And it was like, okay, here we get that. That's where like the curse and like the collective sense of dread and the, here we go again, type yep. of feeling started to creep back in. So, I mean, it, it I thought they were going to get stuffed again. Yeah. You know, I believe that touchdown was on third down, right? It was third and goal mm-hmm. from like the three and they had run two terrible plays yet again before that and put themselves in a situation where, you know, you have to get this. Like, I, I think they probably would have gone for it there after so many field goals. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was obviously a, a pivotal moment in the game. I do think it was the right call. I mean, I don't know what the, the textbook rule on that is because obviously like Bennett's arm ends up moving forward, but the ball was out by the time yeah. he, you know, his arm kind of made the throwing motion. And I think this just, you know, it added more fuel to the fire because there was a similar play early on, on, on that first Alabama drive with Bryce young that ended up being called back. And to be honest, I think they were both the right call when you really break it down. I don't, I don't know how many views you got in the stadium. I, I assume they showed it at least a few times on the jumbo mm-hmm. tribe, but I thought they were both the right call. I mean, the Bryce young one was interesting because, you know, you had, you had a defender's arm on his arm. So it's kind of like, you know, at that point, does it become a situation where you're almost caught in the middle of the sack and whatever happens happens because technically, yes, he did like throw the ball down, but did he even have control of his own arm at that point? Um, so, you know, either of those, I guess probably could have gone either way and it, it, it wouldn't have been like a, you know, ruining the title game situation. But I actually thought the refs did a pretty good job in, in both situations, even though both ended up benefiting Alabama massively. Right. Yeah. So um, the, the the first one, because it happened like so early in the game it, and my general reaction, like like interceptions are, are, are another thing where like I'll celebrate during, but, but things like, like fumbles that aren't so clear. I, even when uh, the team scores, 
you're like, like we got to wait until like the, the extra point is kicked or until the, the referees uphold it because it, there's, it's always going to get reviewed and it's always going to be um, extremely close. So I didn't get my hopes up too much in, in, on that first one from Bryce Young. But then um, it just, as the review kind of unfolded for the Stetson Bennett one, it started to become more clear with the with the duration of the review that that it probably was going to go Alabama's way, and then they did show on on the jumbotron um, the the angle that I think is the is the most um, you know damning one for for Stetson Bennett, which is uh, his arm is like cocked backwards and the ball is out of it. It, it. I mean, it's just barely, but his elbow is just barely behind moving forward, but it is. Um, a situation where it did look like a fumble. So I do agree with you in the sense that um, that was the right call, but it just felt like one of those things. It's like, of course that happened. Like the, the closest possible thing. Um, and then, you know, on the back end of it to not only fumble it, but then to, to have it be picked up by a guy who barely looked like he was paying attention. I couldn't believe in really in both scenarios and both fumbles, how casual both sides were, you know, because, especially after watching so much NFL this year where Anytime you know the ball hits the ground, a, a linebacker picks it up and runs it back a hundred yards just in case. And mm-hmm. like one out of a hundred times, you know, it actually counts. I, I just couldn't believe, you know, in a game of that magnitude, balls on the ground, like go pick it up. Like even on George's fumble, like I, I think maybe there was in that scenario, nobody knew where the ball kind of squirted out to because it went, you know, way to the left mm-hmm. over to the sideline. But you know, nobody on Alabama made any effort to 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 stop the George guy who picked it up. And and you know, kind of the same situation with Bennett. I just, you know, it we've just seen so many guys, you know, kind of overreact to situations like that, that it was strange to me that in the magnitude of this game, um, there wasn't more of like a scrum for the ball just to be safe. I mean, you would think that's being coached everywhere. Right. So maybe that just kind of speaks to, you know, for, from the, from the player's perspective that the, the body language seems to suggest that no one knew it was a fumble on the field, because if it was like clear, like ball out, this is a, this is a fumble type of thing. Then you figure that the players would have been, uh, yeah, hustling to to the ball more, but I, I think everyone was just sort of like, ball the ball's out, but I, I, you know, it's going, it's heading out of bounds. I'll scoop it just because, but whatever. Uh, it just it didn't it didn't feel like it, the players understood that it w- that it was indeed a fumble just because of of how close it was and maybe um, just like how far down the field it went. Usually, f- if, if it was a fumble that went directly out to to, be- to Bennett's side or behind him. Then, it, then I think it's a, it's a different story where everyone's everyone's trying to, to go get it. But um, in, in that type of situation, they just figured, oh, it's like 10 yards from, from where Bennett got hit. There's no way this is a fumble. Right. I, I think that's a good summation. Um, so where, where were you emotionally on that? You know, Alabama's driving, you know, trying to, at this point, they would need a touchdown and then need the two point to tie. And at that point, force overtime. Uh, where are you, you know, emotionally when when Kelly Ringo makes that pick? And I, I don't know if they showed this uh, in the stadium. I'm sure you've seen it since. The the angle where you can see the camera trained on the Georgia sideline, where even as Ringo is like at the five yard line, about to run into the end zone, Kirby Smart is still shouting, "Go down, go down, go down," <laughs> uh, which uh, you know would have been the the proper play there, of course. Uh, but I, I think it's so much cooler that he returned that thing 79 yards. Like, what is there a cooler way to punctuate a national championship win than that? I don't think so. That was insane, you know, because Bryce Young had, had obviously given them fits that, you know, they had to defend 57 Bryce Young dropbacks. Like that is just exhausting for for a defense to deal with. Um, 
and and yeah, for for Ringo, a, a guy that Georgia fought so hard to get on the recruiting trail. I mean, he's a kid from Arizona. You don't see too many of them going this far east to to the deep south to to play. But oh, man, it was to yeah to have that interception and then to to have the wherewithal and and the athleticism to to have the convoy in front of him and to and to like use the blocking to his advantage, and then. Shout out Dan Jackson. I don't know if you, if you remember from the very end of that play, but Dan Jackson kind of like a, a memeable Georgia defender in the sense that, you know, like he, I think if Georgia was at full strength at safety, he, he probably wouldn't be playing a, a whole lot this year. Um, not, not the most highly touted guy in the world, but he got in the way of a Jai Hall um, at the end of that run and he got completely blown up by him, but it, it, it cleared that final five yards for Ringo. Um, to to cross it over in, into the end zone and, and to like you said uh, punctuate what what would turn to be the you know the national title winning play and then you know from there Bama was rattled and and you know down by a lot and having to having to scramble to try to figure it out there at the end and they they fought hard till the very end of course but um, that that play really put put uh put the seal um, in favor of Georgia. So how much? Uh, of the, uh, you know, I would imagine this would be coming from Alabama people. How much of the opinion of, well, you know, if we had John Mechie, if Jameson Williams doesn't go down, you know, they had a couple cornerbacks that were out. Like, was that opinion out there? Because I'm surprised. I, I didn't really see a lot of that on Twitter after the game. Um, Yeah, I, th- I think, yeah. The, it, and this is coming from someone who uh, watched like four hours of Paul Feinbaum yesterday to just kind of continue to, to soak things in. And we even... Uh, found a way to stream some like local Alabama radio on the drive back. Um, that 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 is a big sentiment among the the Tide faithful. Uh, less so about Mechie, but definitely with Williams. And Williams w- was causing a lot of problems for the Georgia defense. And I think I'd be lying if I said that that uh, losing Williams uh, wasn't a a big factor for Alabama. But at the same time, it's hard to feel sorry for them when you have. Um, the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, when you have all five-star receivers that, that are replacing him. Um, it, we talked about it, I think, a little bit on the pod last week. The, the problem that, that Mechie being out with uh, going into this game was not necessarily the talent level that uh, drop off, but, but the comfort level and the chemistry um, with Bryce Young. And that definitely showed some of those receivers definitely weren't on the same page as Young or, or maybe just didn't quite go to to where Young likes to put the ball, that that type of thing. So that, that definitely played a factor. But uh, Williams' injury certainly uh, w- was something that, that changed and altered the game. But I, I don't know, like, if you were to say that Williams was out going into this game, how much would that have, like, really changed the spread in favor of Georgia? Like, a half a point, maybe? Yeah. Maybe maybe a point? I don't know. It, it did feel like... And it's hard to say because, you know, the injury happened on what, like a 40 yard completion, maybe even mm-hmm. more. It, it did feel like it changed the play calling a little bit. I mean, they ended up throwing the ball like 55 times in this game and they threw it twice as much as, as Stetson Bennett did. But it, it did feel like after that, it was a lot of short routes, you know, get get eight yards, you know, throw it to Slade Bolden over the middle. Like they, they really didn't take a lot of shots after that. You know, when you're missing both of those guys, it certainly changes things. Um, but but mm-hmm. yeah, at the end of the day, I I don't mean to imply that it's it's cheapened in any way. I, I don't think that's the case at all. No, it, it's not. And, and you know, like, but, but I think th- it cuts both ways. I mean, for crying, Georgia was out there playing w- with the most p- important position on the field, playing with a former walk on. So, yeah. uh, you know, that like was their that. choice. <laughs> yes, it was. It was. But um, 
you know, Stetson Bennett being your quarterback, I think it is uh, that'll be a, a something that kind of levels the playing field, I guess, mm-hmm. if, if Alabama is going to have to go out there with, without Jamison Williams. But uh, but I digress. Uh, it, it was an important factor in the game, like you said. Um, but I, I still think that Georgia, at the end of the day, like that, there's no there's no tainting uh, of this title be just because Jamison Williams got hurt. And I hated to see that happen in the, in the yeah. moment. It was like, uh, I was yelling because the, the play was coming in my direction. And I was sitting in, like towards the, the corner of the end zone and I'm just screaming like, look out. And, and Williams just like goes and catches a ball. And I'm like, Oh gosh. Yeah. It was, yeah, that, that was, that was a tough moment. And then, yeah, he stayed on the ground and obviously uh, was unable to return and, now he's going pro as as of earlier today, actually. Yeah, no surprise there. Um, you know, hopefully this doesn't impact his draft stock too much. Uh, let's look ahead to next season already. A long way to go, of course. Uh, but we have odds for you know next year's title. We have Heisman odds already. That's about all you're gonna find right now. You know, we'll we'll get some more, you know, conference odds and things like that will trickle out in the coming months. But you're never gonna believe this, John. Alabama and Georgia at the top. Alabama to win the national title plus 225 at the DK Sportsbook. Georgia plus 275, uh, followed by some more familiar names, Ohio State, Clemson, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Michigan, USC. The ninth highest odds to win the title, the Wisconsin Badgers at 35 to 1. Yes, I do like that. Um, Wisconsin had some moments this year where they really did look like they – like if they were to to make it to the Big Ten championship game against Ohio State, they, maybe they would have had a shot. Uh, so uh, they'll be obviously a very experienced team going into next year. Um, I, I think looking at at the board, it makes all the sense in the world that that Alabama is is um, is the odds-on favorite. Um, that they they lose a ton of guys, but they lose a ton of guys every year. They they bring back the most important guy though, and that that's Bryce Young. Um, those receivers, I think, are going to get a lot better over the course of this offseason. You know, between Brooks, Hall, handful of other guys, they're going to be pretty nasty. Um, I, As it stands, when it comes to Georgia, and I'd actually like to take this opportunity to, to maybe pivot the conversation for, for a second as it pertains to what Georgia does at quarterback next year, because I think that has a lot to do with, with uh, Georgia's national title um, hopes. So, in case you weren't apprised of this, Stetson Bennett can return to Georgia for, for another season next year. Is that something that you want to happen? It's, it's so crazy because like Stetson Bennett is at once like walking on water here in Georgia. Like he will, he, you know, it's been said a million times. He'll never have to pay for a drink in Athens. He'll have, never have to pay for a meal in the state for the rest of his days. Um, but I think if you gave, any Georgia fan truth serum. I think that they would probably prefer if Stetson Bennett moved on um, to, to somewhere else um, just because they, they have this big log jam of, of, of like highly touted quarterbacks. And if Bennett were to return, then they're all going to hit the transfer portal. And, you know, that, that makes it a little bit harder to recruit the position when, you know, it's like, well, didn't you make promises to the other five-star guys? And, and, you know, like if you're talking to a five-star in the 2023 or 2024 class, you know, how much are they going to buy what you're selling when, uh, you know, that um, the, these highly touted guys like your Brock Vandegrifts or your Gunnar Stocktons aren't getting on the field within their first two years 
on campus. So it creates a, an interesting kind of political dilemma for, for Kirby Smart to have to navigate. Obviously, he didn't properly navigate the Justin Fields, Jake Fromm situation. But at the same time, it's got to be so hard to just tell a guy that just delivered you the first national title in, in 41 years. Like, yeah, appreciate it, man, but um, pack your bags. Yeah, it's it's fairly unprecedented, right? Where a, a guy has this kind of ascendance, you know, that has really had like one really good throw that in essence uh, pushed Georgia to win this game. I will say, I don't think he was like as bad. Like the way he was getting clowned on Twitter like midway through the third quarter of this game, I, I felt like he was under a ton of pressure. There weren't like, it's not like he was just like missing wide open receivers. I, I, he was just in a tough spot against a really good defense. I don't think he played that badly. I mean, I'm not saying he's, you know, should be a first round pick in the NFL, but um, I did think there was a little more piling on than, than there needed to be. But I think that a lot of that was just confirmation bias because I think yeah. a lot of people have felt f- through the course of the entire season, not just Georgia or not just kind of the, the, your average or neutral fan, but a lot of Georgia fans, and probably myself included, there's probably plenty of audio on the, on this podcast from this season is being like, I don't want Stetson Benedict. Like, he's not the best quarterback on the team, but he's the one that's starting. It doesn't make sense. Make it make sense. Yeah, I mean, it again, it's, it's there really hasn't been a situation like this. Part of it is, you know, guys are, you know, kind of have these these free years from, you know, from the COVID season that that ends up transferring over. But, you know, normally if, if there was a story like this, um, you know, you think Joe Burrow. Like, you know, Burrow was on the NFL radar probably would have been a mid to late round pick before that LSU season, but he plays so well that all of a sudden he's the number one pick. And, you know, Bennett obviously played well enough to get Georgia to this point and, and to win the national title. But whereas we've seen other quarterbacks, you know, build their draft stock while their team is ascending, it, it felt like everybody's been a lot more realistic about Stetson Bennett the whole time. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, the former walk-on. So, so very little like recruiting pedigree doesn't really have the NFL frame or the NFL arm. But, you know, he's got all the intangibles, all the moxie, all the all the knowledge in the of the offense and everything like that. So he did exactly what he had to do. And, and yeah, that that throw to A.D. Mitchell um, to kind of punch back against Alabama when, when they um, had that touchdown to, to go up. That was I mean, that probably goes down as the biggest throw in Georgia program history. Yeah, I, I think that's. Without a doubt, I don't even know what would be number two. I'm sure there were some nice throws from what have been David Green to Leonard Pope that that are maybe in there. But um, yeah, I mean, iconic play, ridiculous throw, great catch in traffic. I, I did feel a little bad for, I forget who the Alabama corner was, but he was getting picked on left and right that game. Right, yeah, I think he had to, <clears throat> excuse me, I think he had like a, a tweet after the game saying that, you know, two plays don't define me type of thing. I didn't think it was necessarily his fault. I mean, it was just a, a literal perfect ball and a, and a yeah. perfect play on the ball for, for Mitchell. Like he had himself in great position. He, he had no point got toasted right. in that play. So, I mean, he, he should keep his head up. Like he, yeah. he'll be fine. I think it was the same guy who, who had the tackle pass interference, which actually was a really smart play. It was that I was very furious as to how smart that play was because it, that that is a touchdown, but like absolutely to, to Burton and he, yeah. he just knew, he knew he was beat and he, he had to take the penalty. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, if, if that, that, if anything, what was a good play by, by him to, yep. you know, f- 15 yards versus a, a long touchdown, you're taking those 15 yards every single time. So I don't have a whole lot of takes about these title odds. I mean, for the most part, it's about exactly what you'd expect. Uh, you know, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, they're always going to be there. That second tier of teams, A&M, Oklahoma, Michigan, USC, 
Notre Dame kind of always feels like it's the same. Um, I will say about Wisconsin. I mean, obviously I would never bet Wisconsin to actually win the national title. It's, it's one thing to make the playoff. It's another thing to have the type of team that can win two games against some of those top tier programs. But the schedule is once again, extremely easy. Um, you know, they, they do, they do get Washington state at home in the non-conference, but uh, you play at Ohio state. That's really the, the season defining game as it always is, but no Michigan, no Penn state. Um, you do have to go to Iowa this year. You do have to go to Michigan state, uh, but you get Minnesota at home. Uh, you know, Nebraska continues to not be a threat. So I kind of, I kind of understand the odds here, like 35 to one maybe doesn't reflect the quality of team that Wisconsin is, but when you combine, you know, a pretty good team with a very easy schedule, um, all of a sudden, if they find a way to beat Ohio state, you know, they're going to be in this thing. No, a hundred percent. Like that, that, they have, they always, I feel like have that immediate path to Indianapolis, like right, right off the bat, just the, the way that the rest of the West sets up and, and just the kind of stability in that program that Wisconsin has. Like, I always feel good about their chances of getting to Indianapolis. And if they're able to do that, you win that one game and, and you're the big 10 champion that then you have as good of, of a case as anyone to, to get one of those four playoff spots. So um, it is there in front of Wisconsin for sure. I, I like that call. Um, I think Michigan has is a pretty nice little bet at, at plus 3,000 just because I think I'm pretty impressed by the freshman that they intended or tried to rotate in a decent bit um, it, at quarterback. Uh, I think it's McCarthy, J.J. McCarthy, I believe it is. Yeah. Um, so I think that he can take another step forward that this coming season if – uh, Harbaugh decides to ride with him, maybe open up that that Michigan passing game a little bit because that that was obviously one of their big un, undoings against Georgia was that inability to get explosive plays through the air. So it was a you know once they get down they were pretty much sunk right there. I think Clemson's in deep trouble um, right now. They they do have a, a great freshman quarterback coming in, Kate Klubnik. Um So maybe he can kind of turn around their fortunes, but with, with the coordinator departures. And a really just kind of small re- recruiting class. I don't know if you can pull up the the twenty four seven where where they ranked it in the in the re- recruiting uh, cycle from this past year, but it was not a, a banner class from Clemson. I think that some of the the stuff that that they were hanging their hat on the the program stability, um, the the sort of once you commit to us, like you're committed for good. Like the people just aren't really buying that or buying that as far as the recruits go anymore like that that's just not as appealing they, they like to go shop around and, and see you know what nil possibilities there are at, at other places they're not just going to completely commit uh to, to clemson alone ohio state obviously has to fix their defense but their their offense is going to be absurd once again i guess a&m is to me like the the interesting long shot um we, we've said it for years we said it going into the 2019 season i want to say um, the 2020 season, so Kellen Mond's uh, junior and senior seasons. Um, I mean, Jimbo Fisher has pulled in the most impressive recruiting class, uh, not just in the country for this year, but like one of the most impressive recruiting classes ever since they started tracking the, this thing. So um, it's a lot of freshmen that you'd have to depend on theoretically, but and they're going to have to go to Tuscaloosa, and they don't really have that program cachet to where like uh, they, they could – win a bunch of games, lose to Alabama, like not make it to, to the SEC championship game and still find a way in. Like, I don't think that they necessarily get that type of treatment from the committee until they've made it to the playoffs on their own volition. 
um, at least a couple of times, but it's a talented roster. Um, they need to get a little bit better in the passing game. The Calzada's gone. Um, should be Haynes King or, or maybe this freshman that they brought in, but defense should be good again. The offensive line, Jimbo's done a really good job recruiting that. Devin A. Chain is a total stud. So there's a lot to like about A&M. I think that, that they would be the, the one that I circled um, if I was going to sprinkle a little bit right now on, on some of these championship futures, A&M at plus uh, 2,200. Let's look at the Heisman odds before we get out of here. And it, there are a few sources out there. They vary pretty widely um, depending on where you look, but uh, we're looking at the action network here. I believe these come via FanDuel. We don't discriminate on this podcast. We'll talk DraftKings. We'll talk FanDuel. doesn't matter. Uh, I will say the action. Yeah. It, it, action network, baby. <laughs> Braylon Allen is not listed here. And this, this list is very deep. I mean, there are probably 50 plus guys on this list. I mean, we're, we're talking guys who are plus 45,000. Maryland receiver Rakeem Jarrett is on this list and Braylon Allen is not. So I'm going to put an asterisk here. Um, this is not clearly an official list of odds. I, I think he'd probably be somewhere in like the 80 to 100 to 1 range. Uh, but that is neither here nor there. I, I really feel like Bryce Young has a pretty good shot to, to to pull the Archie Griffin here. About as good of a shot as anybody has had. And, and you know, there have been Heisman winners who've come back and, and haven't finished the job. Uh, I get that. But I think the reason I would say that more than anything is this didn't really feel like it was Alabama's best team. You know, it, it felt like they've had better ones and they could be even better next year. So for him to kind of, you know, back his way into the Heisman in some ways in 2021, um, he should get better. The team around him should get better. Uh, you know, maybe he'll have more competition for it this year because it, it certainly didn't feel like a, you know, wire to wire the year of Bryce Young type of type of season for him. Right. Uh, but next year could be that year. You know, so I, I think he's going to have a pretty decent shot at it. Yeah, I, th- I think so, too. I think you, you framed that well. I mean, we, we talked about it over the course of the season, how no one really kind of had that Heisman moment. I mean, we we were talking about Kenneth Walker, be, be, you know, being a legitimate yeah. um, Heisman contender and you know, no uh, disrespect to Kenneth Walker. But, you know, his, his season relative to some of like the Jonathan Taylor seasons, um, you know, not even in the same stratosphere, really. But um, yeah, Bryce Young. So talented. It's going to be his junior season. It's going to be the second year as the starter. Um, obviously, no, no Williams or Mechie. So the, those receivers are going to have to, to develop around him. But he, you know, he's such an assassin. Like every anytime he drops back, it dro- it should um, strike fear in the heart of, of whatever team uh, he's going against. He's just so accurate, such a quick release, so mobile, so able to, to you know, get away from pressure. Um, yeah, he's kind of the complete package when, when you look at it at a college quarterback. So it, it makes all the sense in the world that that he's sitting atop the Heisman odds. And, and like you said, um, positioned to, to Archie Griffin, this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you got C.J. Stroud right there. I, I mean, at, at the FanDuel Sportsbook, he's plus 350. I like it's, it's hard. It was hard for me to like get behind the case for C.J. Stroud this past year. And it's really nothing against him. He had some monster games, played really well, of course. But it, it just feels like it's kind of like a nameless, faceless position. Like if you're the Ohio state quarterback, you're going to be in the running for the Heisman. doesn't matter who you are. And it feels like that's been the case for so long that it's just kind of this factory of guys who are all like vaguely similar and they, they all kind of seem to do the same things. Yeah. That, I mean that, no, that's hundred percent true. Um, obviously they're, they're losing Olave and Wilson, but Jackson Smith and Jigba will be back. And they obviously um, gave a preview of, of what's to come with Marvin Harrison, Jr., and Emeka Abuka against uh, Utah, 
but yeah, I, th- I do agree. It's just like generic Ohio State quarterback is sort of what what Stroud feels like. He wasn't the five star that like a Justin Fields was. Right. Um, he, I mean, he's he's obviously very good, and he'll be more experienced coming into next year. And he'll he'll put up those numbers, and he'll stack the wins that that are necessary to keep him in that Heisman contention. But like you said, you know the the Heisman moments were, were uh, mostly. Uh, lacking for him the, this past season. I think that the best best way you could say was like when he shredded Michigan State's secondary, but everyone did that. So like that's yeah. not all that special. Yeah, I, I I don't know who the I was trying to think of like an NBA comparison for him where it's someone who's just like, you know, the numbers are really good. They're unassailable, but he's just not, you know, he doesn't have a lot of wow plays. He's not super inspiring to watch. Whereas I, I think Bryce Young, I mean, you know, he's coming off of a, a fairly rough game against Georgia, but his, like his best plays are like unbelievable. And the poise that he has, how calm he is uh, standing in the pocket. Like you, you could see it with him. Whereas with Stroud, it does seem like there's a little more of a, of a system QB narrative mm-hmm. at play there. So looking at these odds, you have those two, you know, young is at plus two fifty, Stroud plus three fifty. Then we have a huge gap starting at 20 to one, you know, is, is where the rest of this list kicks off. And, you know, essentially that tells me like, that we don't even know, you know, half these guys, there, there are some names on here. We don't even know where they're going to play. We don't even know if they're going to be the starter at their school. You know, JT Daniels is 20 to one. He could start for Georgia. He, you know, we have no idea. I mean, like, like you said, Stetson Bennett could be back. Caleb Williams is at 25 to one. We have no idea where he's going to play, but we know wherever he ends up, he's going to be in the mix. Uh, you got Dylan Gabriel, you got Tyler Van Dyke, you got DJU uh, still at 25 to one, a little bit of name recognition there. Um, Keaton Slovis going to take over for Kenny Pickett at Pitt. Uh, I mean, we could keep reading name after name. I mean, there, there are a lot of recognizable names on this list. Um, but I, I agree with how the odds break down. It, it'd be really hard to to make a compelling case for one guy over the other because, you know, some of the more proven players on this list, like a B. John Robinson, you know, it, it's just hard for a running back. You, know, it, you can't put a running back higher than like 20 or 30 to one these days. And, you know, even someone like a Spencer Rattler, who kind of hit rock bottom last year, he's at 40 to one. Maybe he takes off at South Carolina. Who knows? Yeah, I just I I would have to imagine that like the team context isn't going to be good enough for for Rattler, and I, I feel like Rattler is just constantly get or as long as he's in college it is just going to be kind of dangled out there by the Heisman odds makers just uh, for someone believing uh, that that he's really really good or something. And Tyler Van Dyke to me, I'm interested or it's interesting to me that he's uh, rate rated this high within um, this grouping of odds. He obviously had a great season kind of out of nowhere. He kind of has Keaton Slovis vibes to me where it's just like he did well relative to expectations, but like you compare him actually to, to you know, some of the great quarterbacks in college football. And I, I think he um, falls a little bit short. I could be wrong in that. And, you know, I think Mario Cristobal is going to turn that program around, but I wouldn't put my money on, on Van Dyke necessarily. Williams to me is a really interesting bet at, at, at 25 to one. Um, He's just extremely talented. I mean, he was, you know, in the Heisman running with like half of a season uh, worth of games there for a little bit th- this season. Just I-, I think that wherever he goes, whether it is USC, whether it is uh, somewhere else, he's going to be the guy and he's going to put up huge numbers and turn them into into a winning program. So you have to consider that. Um, I'm definitely interested in Quinn, in Quinn Ewers. I mean, by the numbers, he's like supposedly the best quarterback prospect ever coming out of high school by by the recruiting rankings uh tied with Vince Young um so I'm that can't 
like not interest you that that has to be something that you keep on your radar Texas you know their offense wasn't their problem this year really it was it was the defense and and you know the quarterback play specifically was a little bit tough and B. John Robinson's injury late but uh Ewers plus Xavier Worthy the the freshman receiver from this past year that's such a deadly combo so I I think that um he's a really interesting play and then Smith and Jigba if the, the, the games when uh, Ohio State was slightly shorthanded um, at receiver uh, this season and allowed Smith and Jigba to, to step up, like he delivered and then some. I mean, the Rose Bowl performance was just silly, uh, and his game against Nebraska was also uh, just silly. So um, they're going to be throwing the ball a lot. He obviously has more t- trust with, with Stroud that, than some of those younger guys. So I think Smith and Jigba – if like there's a receiver that that are going to be in, or that is going to be positioned for for Heisman candidacy, candidacy I think him and, and Xavier Worthy would, would be my two that that I take a look at. All right, Ben. Enjoy checking in with you on this. Uh, more than anything, congratulations. Like I said at the top, I feel like you're as big a part of this as as anybody, uh, bigger than Stetson <laughs> Bennett, even perhaps. <laughs> I've been been banging the gong for a while. I was I was feeling like it was the dogs' years ever since the end of last season. Did I see it unfolding the exact way that it did? Absolutely not. But, um, you know, I, I put down during the, uh, Rotowire trip to Las Vegas, I put money on, on the dogs winning it all. I've just felt like they had the best team going into this season, obviously hit the bump on the road in December, but very cool to see them finish this off. And, and, uh, I'll leave it at this go dogs. <laughs>